You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Today, we're going to talk about a passage from Romans chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul is going to use the analogy of marriage to talk about law versus grace. Now, how many of you, when you got married, you didn't really understand marriage? And now, how many of you, now that you've been married, would agree with that statement? You could testify to that, right? And marriage is hard. You know why? Because both of you are in it. That's why it's hard. So let me tell you a bit about marriage. Marriage is supposed to be covenantal. That is, the two of you in a very exclusive, very unique, very loving relationship, unlike any other. You see, business relationships are contractual, not covenantal. Big difference. Can you imagine if your marriage was based on a contract? All right, I'll do the laundry and cooking if you pay me. I'll take care of the yard and keep up the car, but I need a good deed in return. Number two, marriage is supposed to be mutual. That is, the two of you make decisions that impact and affect the other. You are not two independent people living under the same roof. Biblically speaking, it's the two becoming one. Number three, it's total. Marriage includes all of your life, your time, your energy, your money, your relationships, your employment, all of you involved and invested. Number four, it's supposed to be sacrificial. You're supposed to serve each other. Give up some of your freedoms. Give up some of your preferences so that you can enjoy love and unity in consideration of the other. Number five, it's supposed to be fruitful. The Bible says it's not good to be alone. That means you're better together. You can get more done, be more effective in life and in ministry. And number six, it's supposed to be a good marriage. It's supposed to be flexible. So different couples, different people are going to need to figure out their methods on how to do life together. So let me ask a question. Is marriage a good experience or a bad experience? And I think we might have a little different of opinion in this room, but here's why. It all depends on who's in the relationship. If he's a decent man and she's a decent woman, chances are they're going to have a decent relationship. If he's a situation and she's a situation, then they're going to have quite a situation. Marriage can be awesome or it can be awful. It depends upon who you are and who you're married to. So let's jump into Romans 7. Again, the Apostle Paul is going to address marriage, but he's using marriage as an analogy for law versus grace. Here's how he begins. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. So in their day, this would be the people who, look, we go to church, we know some of the Bible at least. Do you not know that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from that law that binds her 
to him. And let me just say this. You can't kill him, okay? That's important. So she's obligated to her husband as long as he's alive. Now you're thinking, oh, we can fix that. That's murder. And I'm pretty sure that's in the top 10 of the do nots. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law. It is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So the example would be Lori and I. We're married. We're committed to each other. That until death do you part, we said in our vows. If I should die, then she is released and freed, vice versa, true. If I had another wife or she had another husband, that would be a violation of the law. And so what we're basically saying, what Paul is basically saying in this passage in regards to family, when you're married, you're obligated to your spouse as long as you're both alive. And as soon as one dies, the obligation of that relationship has come to an end. He's using that analogy to talk about the law. And he's saying that we're all married to the law, that we all live under the law, that ultimately when Jesus died, we died. And he died fulfilling our obligations to the law. So we are freed from the law. And now we are freed to marry God, not the law. To go toward grace, not the law. In some regards, he's talking about it being kind of like a remarriage. And what he's saying is that living under the law is like a bad marriage. And he's going to say that living under grace is like a great marriage. And what he's saying is that ultimately, law shows up in our marriage. One of the reasons I think the Apostle Paul uses the analogy of marriage for those living under the law is because of this. Who is the person when we, that we tend to drop the hammer on the most? Our spouse, Right? All the ladies would know spouse. All the guys are right now looking at their phones trying to check scores. The Bible says love your neighbor. Who is your nearest neighbor? Your spouse. So the love and the grace are supposed to start there. Oftentimes it's the law that starts there. And what happens in marriage then is one of you is more law-based. One of you is more grace-based it seems. And the one who is more law-based is very inflexible. And so it's the grace-based one that has to flex. The law-based one tends to create an environment that's very difficult. And the grace-based one is struggling to flourish in that environment. And what he's saying is that under law is like a bad marriage. It creates an environment, a relationship, a, a culture. Whether it's a home a relationship, a family, a business, a ministry, where it's control, fear, threats, impossible expectations, punishment, demands for perfection, no help or assistance, very non-relational, and it's very discouraging. And it's killing those who are living under it. It literally is robbing them of the joy of life. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have been under or in a law-based environment? How many of you have been in or under a law-based relationship? You know in those relationships there are only two options, perfect or failure. 
And even if you've tried your might to be perfect, you're eventually going to fail. So it's inevitable. And eventually what happens in a law-based environment is that person who is non-relational, punitive, high control, lots of rules, the spouse becomes very discouraged, very sad. It's hard because they can't ever measure up. And you know what that creates in the family? Kids who totally want to rebel. Most often, it's the dad that's the law-based one in the relationship. And so the kids want to have nothing to do with their dad. By extension, they want to have nothing to do with God. Because the sad, hard truth is they put their father and God together, and they're not. They're not the same. The father, the heavenly father's heart for us is not the same as their father's heart. Our God is not the same as their dad. The problem in our world today, our culture today, our nation today is too much law, not enough grace. And people are struggling and suffering. There was a Gallup poll about nine months ago. And you know, Gallup's participants aren't necessarily Christian, pro-Jesus, Bible-believing. It's just a random sampling of, of people. Every single group in America reports having worse mental health in the last year and a half. How many of you, that doesn't shock you? Except for one category of people. Those who attend church every week. This isn't a pastor standing up here making this up. This is a random sampling of people in America saying the people who actually respond with better mental health are those for whom church is that important to them. Now, the question is, why is that? Because the church is supposed to be a grace-based environment. There's so much law out there that that means that there's a gratitude for grace in here. If your whole life is law, you really need a dose of grace. So what it shows is that one of the keys to mental health is going to a church. And let me say this. In the past 18 months, while our in-person attendance is about 60% of what it was pre-COVID, and that's similar to most churches, our financial health has actually improved. And we continue to see new folks coming and attending and engaging. Why is that noteworthy? Because here's what the church in America is up against. One in five churches right now is ready to close its doors and die. Statistically, 30% of pastors are considering resigning. It's been hard for all of us. And yet people are looking for grace anywhere they can find it. They're looking for hope and meaning and purpose and joy. And ultimately, whether they know it or not, they're looking for Jesus because that's where all the grace comes from. It's all right, back to Romans 7. The Apostle Paul's talking about living under law versus living under grace. And if living under law is like a bad marriage, and it is, then living under grace is like a great marriage. He says, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ. You were married to the law, but Jesus died for your sins, and then you met Jesus. And as you 
now have died to the law, you can live under grace. You died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. You no longer belong to the law. You belong to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, that's our physical, rebellious, sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. Now, passion isn't bad, but sinful passions are bad. You could be passionate for marriage or adultery. You could be passionate for the fruits of the Spirit, or you could be passionate for getting drunk on spirits. Passion isn't bad, but it can direct you to or from God quickly. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. He's comparing living under law with living under grace. And let me talk about law in the word first, and then we'll talk about law in the world. So law in the word. Sometimes it refers to all of God's laws. And in the first five books of the Bible, there are over 600 laws. Sometimes when we hear about God's law, we think the Ten Commandments solely. And I think what the Apostle Paul is referring to is maybe all of that, we, that there is right and there is wrong, that God is the lawgiver, and God is over everyone and everything, that God says certain things are right and certain things are wrong, and it doesn't matter where you live, who you are, what you think, there is right and there is wrong. And number one, law in the Bible, in the Word, reflects something of God's character. The laws reflect the lawgiver. So when we open the word of God and it says no adultery, that's because God loves faithful relationships. God says no stealing. God likes us to have what he's given to us and not take what he's given to somebody else. When God says to forgive, he likes forgiveness and grace and relationships. That's his thing. So the laws of God tell us about God the lawgiver. Number two, one of the things the law does is it restrains some evil. In Romans 2, the Apostle Paul would have mentioned to us about this internal witness of our conscience. That's why you know certain things are just wrong. There are certain things we simply don't do because God has written his law in our hearts and our conscience tells us that's wrong. In addition, in this same letter, if you were to read from Romans 13, God gives the government and the government gives laws to restrain some evil. So God's word, God's law tells us something about God's character and it restrains some human evil. But then number three, it reveals our sin. It gives category to our sin. So maybe you're reading it and you're a brand new Christian. And there were some things that you were committing, some sins, and you didn't even know. And you're reading the Bible, and you're like, oh, I didn't even know that. So it has named your behavior. It has named your sin. 
So let me ask, is the law, is God's law then bad? Because from it, we find out some things that, you know, we don't like because they're wrong. No, God's law is not bad. We are. The law shows us who we are. See, the law shows two things, who God is and who we are. So God's good, I'm bad. God's right, I'm wrong. God says, no, I keep saying yes, there's a problem. The law shows us our sin, our problems, our falls, flaws and, and faults and failures. It's not bad. The law's not bad. It's just not complete because the law can't change us or help us. It only diagnoses us. It doesn't treat us. We've talked about this recently in our Wednesday morning Bible studies. And so I, I liken the law to looking at a mirror. In the same way that a mirror can show us our flaws, can show us where we're unclean, but a mirror can't do anything about it. It cannot clean you up. The law can't do anything about it either. It can't clean you up. But that's not the law's job. It diagnoses the problem. It doesn't heal or solve it. That's law in the word. Now, there's also a concept of law, not just in the word, but out in the world. And there's some of God's universal laws, whether people believe in them or not, kind of live by them. I'll give you some ways that this shows up. Anytime we hear about a law, if we don't have a new nature, you know what our first instinct is? To break that law, rebel against that law. Why? Because we want to be sovereign. We want to be the highest authority in our life. And so as soon as the law shows up, we don't like it because it's over us. We don't want anything over us. Another way the law in the world works is that we feel guilty. How many of you have done something and you feel guilty? And you're like, man, that was just wrong. And if you've never felt that, you're a sociopath. I'm just putting that out there. We know because there are laws out there. Whether we recognize them or not, certain things are right and wrong. And when we violate them, we feel guilty. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Think of it this way. Law shows you what you've done wrong. You can't measure up. You can't live this out perfectly. Grace, on the other hand, shows you what Jesus has done right to make up for what you've done wrong. You see, we all have to deal with the law. Now, here's the good news. It not only shows us who God is and who we are, but it shows us that we need God. It's like, I don't do what I'm supposed to do. I, I'm not the person God says I'm supposed to be. I need a savior. And you know what I need? I need a savior who, number one, fulfills the law, lives up to the law. Did Jesus live up to the law? Absolutely, yes. He never sinned in thought, word, or deed. We live under the law, and it breaks us. Jesus fulfilled it. No sin of any sort or kind it shows us that we need a Savior who, number one, fulfills the law, defeats the law, satisfies the law, and then gives grace to us because we can't measure up to the law. 
this is why we love Jesus so much. Because you see, I'm not going to stand before God and tell him how much good I've done. I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to celebrate what Jesus has done. And I'm not going to feel any condemnation under the law because Jesus has already satisfied the demands of the law. So some of you have a very tender conscience. You're very dear people. And Satan is going to remind you of all the ways you've fallen short. And you need to remind yourself of all the ways that God's grace through Jesus Christ makes up the difference. So what happens is we die to the law. And then we get this new relationship, this marriage-type relationship with Jesus Christ through grace. And this is where the Bible uses the language of marriage a lot to talk about the relationship between Jesus and his people, the church. So the church is referred to as his bride. Jesus is the groom. And what the Bible is saying here in Romans, in Ephesians 5, and elsewhere, that we have been married to the law is that a fun marriage? No. And let me just say this. I love you. But if you are law-based, it's no fun being married to you. And some of you say, yeah, but I got a lot of verses. That's what law-based people do. They quote a lot of verses, but they don't offer a lot of grace. They win every argument, but they lose most relationships. Being married to the law, living under the law is a bad marriage living under grace, being married to Jesus, that's a great marriage because he makes up for what we have failed to do. He forgives all of your shortcomings. He helps you to change and he comes alongside of you. You see, law is over us telling you, you've got to do this. Jesus comes alongside to help us to do it because he's relational, he's loving, he's gracious, he's kind, he's patient, now think about this. When you get married, a couple things happen. First of all, there's this sacred moment where you exchange vows. How many of you remember that on your wedding day? And then what happens is your legal status changes. You're no longer this person with this name and this person with this name, two individuals. You're now together, new legal status. And for the ladies, most of you, you get your name changed. Maybe you're as lucky as Lori and you get to carry Salibi with you the rest of your life. So as Christians, number one, you and Jesus have got to have that sacred moment where you enter into that special covenant relationship and Jesus will be like, I, Jesus, take thee sinner and I, sinner, take thee Savior. And then what happens is your legal status changes. You're no longer married to the law. You're married to Jesus. Your legal status changes, and Jesus is your inheritance. His kingdom is your kingdom. His eternity is your eternity. His generosity is your generosity. It's like when Lori and I married, all that is mine is legally hers. When you're married to Jesus, I'm using the analogy of marriage, you get the inheritance. Then your name changes. So we're called what? Christians, we get his name. So my question to you would be, have you entered into this relationship with Jesus? 
some of you may not know it, but you're married to the law and you're living under the law. And you know what that means? All your sin is being accounted against you by God because the law is keeping a record. You see, love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Law does. And ultimately, the law is like an attorney that's going to keep a record of all your wrongs. Then when you die, you will stand before God and you will be judged by the law because you've lived, tried to live under it. And you said, this is what I have to go by. It's the checklist. And if that's you, then you will suffer and have to pay for the debt. And we call that hell. Hell is a debtor's prison for the guilty, for all those who have lived, tried to live under the law. What I want for you today, what God wants for you today, what the Apostle Paul wants for you today is to die to the law so that you can begin to live under the grace of Jesus Christ. And anyone who has ever done that, whoever's made that change, you know, if you're living under grace, It's the most amazing thing ever. And I have yet to meet anybody who says, you know what, I'm living under grace, but I sure miss the law. I've never met that person. So how do you go from living under the law to living under grace? It's that sacred moment where you enter into this special covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what, you can do that right now. And it can change and save your marriage. A lot of people are saying, I don't like living under the law. Well, good news is you can live under grace. So let me tell you, your relationship with God, it's under grace. You are forgiven. Praise God. He loves you. He's not going to change his mind. He's married to you. He's not going to give up. He's committed to you. He's devoted to you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you nor abandon, abuse, or betray you. You're under grace. And as you live under grace, it makes you healthy. And then you and I, we have this opportunity to give grace in our relationships That makes all the difference in the world and you can live under the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So my encouragement, my admonition to you at this moment is would you give your sin to Jesus? Let his death satisfy the demands of the law so you can die to the law and receive Jesus and start to live under grace. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.